about to hear an anointed, powerful word that will change your life from Treasure Coast Victory Center. Be blessed as your faith goes from one level of glory to another level of glory. This will be week number four, I think, four. All right. Uh, I think I got it figured out now. This will end in eight weeks. So we'll do all of May. Then we'll check off into people filling in, teaching, preaching. We'll give everybody a shot starting in June, if that's okay with everybody. And if not, it really doesn't matter once again because <laughs> that's what I'm supposed to do. So, <laughs> All right. Are you ready tonight? All right, go to Romans chapter 10 tonight. Romans chapter 10. Father, we just thank you again for your word tonight. I pray that as it is preached tonight by the Spirit of God, it just explodes in the hearts and minds of your people tonight, that they would see things that they ain't ever seen before, praise God. Holy Ghost, reveal things to them, expand their imagination, expand their mind. We want to fulfill the purpose that you put us here for. We thank you for your live word tonight and what it's going to do in our hearts and minds in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. Okay, Romans chapter 10 tonight. Look at verse 9. It says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto what? Salvation. Salvation. All right, I want to talk tonight about something you probably never heard taught on very much, but it, it's the Father-Son the Word of God gives you a father-son relationship. He will change your relationship with God from the day that you get born again to try to bring you into understanding that he is your father and you are really a child of God in the kingdom of God. So what, here's a verse that says, when we confess him as Lord, we basically come into the family of God and we do that by confessing his lordship over our life. The recognition of his lordship gives us something called eternal life. Say eternal life. Now, eternal life does not mean, once again, that you're going to live forever. It is basically the nature of God, and the life of God comes on the inside of you and dispels the nature of Satan that was on the inside of you. Every person is going to live forever somewhere, praise God. Hallelujah. And faith, when we talk about faith, faith is not a creation of the intellect of your mind, but it's a creation of your human spirit, the real you. Say, I am a spirit, I have a soul, and I live in a physical body. So your three parts. So here it talks about believing in the heart. Now, when it talks about the heart, of course, it's not talking about your fleshly heart. It's talking about your inner core. It says believing in the heart, basically, is when the word prevails over your thought processes. Believing in the heart, or faith, is when the word prevails over your thought processes. We believe the word above the natural evidence that we see in the natural realm. In short, it's putting God's word first place in our life in every situation. Here it says, with the heart, man believes that Jesus is his righteousness, and then he makes a confession of his salvation by proclaiming the lordship of Jesus over our lives. Now, the word lordship basically means bread provider. It means the one who sustains us, the one who protects us, the one who cares for us. Lord also means owner of all. Say owner of all. How many of you know when you confess Jesus as Lord, you've got to come to the understanding where he owns everything. 
You really own nothing in this earth realm. You're just renting everything you got, basically. God owns everything. And until you come to a place where everything you got belongs to God and God can take it from you or give you something else, you've got to understand that it's up to him because everything belongs to him. So he's our Lord. He's our bread provider. He's our protector. And Jesus, basically, when we get born again, assumes the responsibility of the caretaker or the provider in our lives. All right, go to Matthew chapter 6. All right, Matthew 6, look at verse 25. Jesus is speaking. He says, Therefore I say unto you, take no thought, or do not worry for your life. What you shall eat, or what you shall drink, or yet your body, and what you shall put on, is not the life more than meat, and the body more than clothing. Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take ye thought or worry for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothes the grass of the field which today is, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Whither all shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles or the pagans seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you have need of these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for tomorrow, for tomorrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof." Here we see in these scriptures right here, if you break them down, Jesus basically is giving us a bird's eye view of the view of the Father God attitude towards each and every one of his children. He wrote this section for us so that we come to understand him as our Father, not just our God. Verse 25 says, Don't worry for your life, what you shall eat, or what you shall drink, or your body, what you shall put on. Here he illustrates the Father's care for us by his care for the birds. How many of you know he takes care of the birds? He, no bird out there starving. Every bird has a nest. Every bird has something the Father provides for them. He uses that as an illustration. Then he asks us a serious question. Are not you much more valuable than they? Hallelujah. I always answer, I always answer his question, so I say yes. Yes, I am. Praise God. So what's going on here? You've got to come to learn and understand the importance that you are to God the Father himself. You are important to him. Everybody says, well, he's important to us. Yes, he is. But you've got to understand that you are very important to him. If so, then he wonders why you worry about finances, why you worry about not having things, why you worry about not having clothes. Why are you anxious, he says, concerning clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither spin. Basically, he's showing us a lack of wisdom of who we are, and basically the sign of the lack of wisdom of who we are is simply worry. Say worry. worry. Now, worry is accepted in the church. Most of the time, people worry, and everybody just worries with them. But notice, Father God doesn't talk like worry's okay. He said, there's no reason to worry. Why? Because you're my child, and I am your father. 
And if I'm your father, then you shouldn't be worrying about anything. If I'm the one who's going to caretake for you and provide for you, then there's nothing for you to worry about because I'm going to take care of it. How many of you like it if you have children? If your children came to you worried every day whether they were going to have clothes, are we going to have enough food for supper? No, they don't care. They just come figuring you're going to take care of everything. This is a relationship that has to be shifted in your mind to understand that he loves you, he's your father, and his job basically is to take care of you as a child. And when you believe that, you'll stop worrying about what you shall eat, what you shall drink, will I have enough money, what about the mortgage? Your father already says he knows what you need. Hallelujah. Even before we beg and cry out to him, he already knew it beforehand. Notice he also explains, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O you, of little what? Faith. So in other words, then he goes on to say, don't act like the Gentiles. Don't act like an orphan. Don't act like someone who's fatherless, because your heavenly Father knows that you have need of these things. Well, what's the solution? Well, he says, instead of worrying, just seek first the kingdom of God, and your right standing in that kingdom, and all these things that you've been worrying about will be added unto you. So we've come into the kingdom of God. We've come into a family relationship. We now, when we get born again, instantly have a relationship with God himself. He has delivered us out of the authority of darkness of the devil and has translated us into the kingdom of his son or of his love. The Bible says he's made us the righteousness of God in Christ. He put you in right standing with him. He basically justified you just as if you never sinned. Hallelujah. So he has put us in right relationship and right standing with himself. We are sons and daughters of God. We are to seek, discover, and learn about our place as sons in the family of God. Sons of God, do not worry. There is no worry in the kingdom of God. Your father knows what you need. How many of you believe he is able to take care of what you need? Hallelujah. So he's your father. We're his children. Basically, we're not supposed to be worrying about any of these things. We're supposed to be trusting him for these things instead. All right, go to Romans chapter 8. I've been to a lot of churches and a lot of Sunday mornings where all it is is a group of pagans coming together to beg God to get something that they need in their lives, not understanding that he's your father, and he's already said he would take care of those things. If you just took your place as a son, he could then take his place as your father. But we get together, and everything's about what you can get from God. Maybe you can get from God. You're in your church now. You're a Christian. You can get this from God. Notice it's not that. It's finding out the Father's will for you and your relationship with him and simply trusting him like a father would. Even in my own life, you know, i got two boys, and I'll tell you, my boys have never come in since they moved out of the house and asked me if they could have something out of the fridge. Not one time. They walk in, they go to the fridge to see what I've got, and they take whatever the heck they want. Why is that? They're sons, and I'm their father. They know that I'm providing for them when they come. They don't have to question it. And the beauty of it is then, when I got two daughters-in-laws, at first when they came in, they sat on the couch like this, and I'd have to say, would you like a water? And they say, yes, please, and all that. Well, how many know that wore off after a while? And now they get in the house, they go right to the fridge. They don't care, praise God, because they've got the father daughter relationship built into them now. They don't ask me for anything. They just go take it, praise God. And I'll tell you, the main breakthrough we had was, uh, how many of you know I like fat boys? Yes. You know what those are? There's those big ice cream sandwiches up in the fridge. And uh, one time, uh, Amber and Josh came home, and Amber went right to the fridge 
checked it out. There was one fat boy left, and she took it. I thought, my God, she knows she's a daughter. If she takes my last fat boy, she has a member of the family now, praise God. Hallelujah. What is it? She's coming to a place where my house is her house. My things are her things. I'm her father. She's my daughter. And that's the same relationship Father God's looking for us rather than I'm guilty and I'm a sinner and he doesn't like me and I keep making mistakes and I'm a failure. He doesn't want to hear that any more than you would want to hear it from your own children. So he's trying to build that and it's built through the word. Say through the word. See, the only thing that'll change your mind on this stuff is the word of God as you study it, as you see his perspective of it. As it and he's saying, why do you worry? Why do you worry? Why do you act like a pagan when I'm your father? But still, we were taught, weren't we, to do that? We were taught paganism. Beg God, just do real good, and God will bless you, praise God. You do bad, he'll crush you, but you do good, and he'll do something for you. No, he's your father, and he wants to take care of you. All right, Romans chapter 8. Look at verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and join heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Here it says once again that we are part, really part, of a spiritual family called the family of God. We are truly his sons and his daughters. He cares for us and we care as we care for our own children. In verse 17, it says, not only children of God, but we are joint heirs with Christ Jesus. If you study the Bible, the Bible says that Jesus is the heir of what? All things. Say Jesus is the heir of the all things. Now, I'm a son of God, and I am a joint heir with Jesus, which means I am the heir of all things. You're not a co-heir. You're a joint heir. You're not sharing everything. Everything that Jesus has belongs to him as a son also belongs to you. All the wealth of the Father belongs to us because he cares for us. So why do we worry? How would we like it if our children worried all the time? Could I please have a drink? Oh, please, Father, I beg you to do this or do that. It's not that way. It's a father-son and father-daughter relationship that has to come into your being to understand how to operate. All right, go to 1 John chapter 3. All right, 1 John chapter 3, look at verse 1. It says, Behold, or look what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, enough love that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knows us not, because it knew him not. Here once again, he's reminding us the Father loves us, he wants to care for us. We are his sons. We are heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ Jesus. He calls us his children. God is actually our real live father. He is responsible for us. The key is in your relationship. If we take our place as sons, he can then take his place as father. I'll say that again. Until you take your place as a son, he cannot take his place as father because you are not trusting in him, you are trusting in you. And as long as you're trusting in you, it stops him from basically being who he is and being able to provide all of your needs. All right, go to John 14. 
All right, John chapter 14, look at verse 23. Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. Here it says, As a man love me, he will keep my words. In other words, he will walk in my word. He will protect my word. He will believe my word. So we take our place as sons by keeping his word. Now, once again, if you don't read the Bible and don't know what his word is, it's going to be very hard to keep a word that you don't even know what it is. So as we learn more and more of God's will and what he wants to do, we start to take our responsibility as a son of God. We believe and enjoy our privileges as sons, and then we start to enforce our legal rights in the family of God as sons and daughters of God. You have a legal right to healing. You have a real real life to, or a chance and it should be able to stand against and when deliverance and all these things basically are a privilege that you got when you entered in the kingdom of God, but we are the ones responsible for keeping his word, understanding his word, and fighting to keep our place in his word. If we do that, then he will be able to assume his place as father and make his home, here it says, with us. He will take care of us. He will enable us to meet all our obligations. He will enable us to walk in love. He will basically walk with us in the fullness of fellowship. Worry, once again, is a lack of a sonship mentality. We think and act like sons, not orphans. He takes his place as father and provider in our life. All right, go to Philippians chapter 4. I don't think you have to, but sometimes you end up in a place where you have no choice but to trust God. Those are scary places, but they're places where you really don't have a choice, but they're times when you definitely get out of the way because you can't do nothing about it to begin with. The one time that we were so far in debt that, praise God, I mean, no, nobody could get me out of there in the natural realm. I didn't have enough rich uncles. I didn't have enough rich aunts. I didn't have enough anything. And at that time, it was pretty much over. I could stop worrying because I couldn't do anything about it. I, I stopped figuring out how to do it because I couldn't figure out a way to do it. And I just gave it up. I said, okay, God, that's it. You called me to do Treasure Coast Victory Center, and you're either going to start supplying and do what you're supposed to do, or we're going to be Treasure Coast Closed Down Center. It's entirely up to you. Whatever, whatever you'd like us to be, praise God. It was at that time, it seems like something broke in me, and my days of worry ended. Gone. Nothing to worry about anymore. Why? Because I understood that it's my father, man, and he'll figure out a way to do it. He probably already figured out. He just had me to walk in that position that was there. So God is our Father. He wants to take care of you in every area of your life. All right, Philippians chapter 4. Look at verse 19. It says, But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now, this verse here is the end of worry. It's the end of fear. God, our Father, has assumed the responsibility of caring for us, and he wants to carry for how many of your needs? All of your needs, every single one. Now, we're just not talking about money. We're talking about emotionally. We're talking about physically. We're talking about everything in your life he wants to provide for. He simply requires one thing of us. Trust in him with all your heart and stop leaning on your own understanding. He is saying, I want your heart trust. I want your fullness of confidence. I want you to understand that I'm your daddy, your father, your Abba, and I love you. He wants us to learn that he is our wisdom. He is our ability. He can make us wise in every situation that we run into if we trust in him. He can make us a master over every circumstance as sons and daughters of God. Look at verse 11. 
Philippians 4.11. It's talking about Paul. Interesting. Not that I speak in respect of want, but I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Glory to God. That's how many know that's a good place to be. That means if money's tight, you're still the same person. If a million dollars is handed to you, you're still the same person. If you're under attack, you're still the same person. If they're praising you, you're still the same person. If they're mad at you and stirring up strife about you, you're the same person. Why you are content. You know the Father's in charge. You know the Father's taking care of it. You know the Father's there. Whether in lack or abundance, hungry or full, do not worry, do not fear, because your Father basically will take care of you, and that is a stabling effect in your life. It says you can do all things through Christ Jesus. The Father will lead you. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Notice, not led by your head, led by the Spirit of God. So we have God's ability. We have His provision. We have His care. And when we trust in Him with all of our hearts, there's no need to worry anymore because God knows what He's doing. All right, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. sang that song tonight. We're going to sing it Sunday. You know, taste and see that the Lord is good. Man, I'm telling you what, when you start turning things over to him and see him do thing after thing after thing, he's really good, praise God. And he can't even say he's good to you because he's too good to me to even think about you at that point, praise God. Hallelujah. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Look at verse 4. And such trust have we through Christ to Godward, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything is of ourselves, but our sufficiency is from who? From God. That's a good statement. It's not us who are sufficient. We can't look to, to skeeving ways in order to figure situations and circumstances out. We just have to follow the Word of God, obey the Word of God, and allow God be God. We have access to God's ability. We have His ability in life's daily fight. Whether you're on the job, He's there. In the store, His wisdom's there. In the classroom, He's there. In your home, He's there. The teacher has his wisdom, the policeman has his wisdom, the judge has his wisdom, the lawyer has his wisdom, and you have his wisdom. All have access to the ability of God if you've been born into the kingdom of God. There is not a walk in life which the believer finds himself, but God's ability belongs to him. You have God's wisdom and you have God's nature on the inside of you. The Father watches over us. He's basically meeting our every need. In every crisis, as we trust Him, we are now acting like a son, and we're operating in the ability of our Father. Amen. All right, go to Psalm 56. reading an E.W. Kenyon book years ago, and it told me every morning that I wake up, the first thing I should do is go, okay, where are we going today, Daddy? What are we doing today? Wherever I go, I know you're going to give me the ability to take care of the situation. If somebody needs deliverance, you're going to release the ability on the inside of me. We're going to go together, me and you today, whatever hits us. We may have a day with nothing, no problems, or we may have a day with a bunch of problems, but it doesn't matter because you're with me today, and I'm going to walk with you today and be with you today. Praise God. Hallelujah. All right, Psalm 56. Look at verse 9. When I cry unto thee, then shall mine enemies be turned back. This I know, for God is for me. And in God will I praise his word. In the Lord I will praise his word. In God have I put my trust. I will not be afraid of what man can do unto me. 
Here it tells you that God is for you. Say, God is for me. Now, how many know that gives you an advantage? And that's the problem with religion because many times religion teaches you that God is not for you. God is teaching you by being against you. And it's hard to fight against God. I've tried it. I've never won one battle one time, praise God, even when I thought I was going to win. It doesn't work that way. But when God's for you, how many of you know you're going to do pretty good as long as he's in your corner? Here he says you can praise his word. If he's for us, then no fear in your life because what can anything in the natural really do to you? I trust my Father. Here it says, my enemies will be turned back when I do that. I am now ruling. I am confident of who I am and who He is. I can walk with my head up and my shoulders up. I can walk as somebody who walks in victory 24 hours, 7 days a week because God, hallelujah, is for me. But the devil's doing that. But God is for me, praise God. But you don't know what happened today. I don't care. God is for me and with me every single day. See, the devil wants to keep pulling you down to his level. He wants to pull you down to where you're defeated, where God doesn't care. Why don't he do something? Blah, 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 blah. And basically, also, this is getting you to not trust your father and your father-son relationship that he has given you. Praise God. All right, go to Psalm 46. Psalm 46, look at verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. Now, how many know when we do praise and worship on Sunday morning and there's not a whole lot of trouble going on and the corporate anointing's here and God is here? Oh, my gosh, he's just my refuge. He's just so wonderful. But how about when times when you get in trouble? See, he's still present then, is he? The goosebumps certainly aren't there, are they? The feeling definitely isn't there, is it? And he doesn't feel like he's within 14,000 mile of you, but he is. He is your refuge and a very present help in time of trouble. Therefore, will not we fear if the earth be removed? How many know that's pretty drastic? And the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea? You'd think that would scare you. Though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof. And why is that? Because there is a river. Hallelujah. See, there's a river. <laughs> There's a river, praise God, on the inside of you. It's the river of God. It's the ability of God. It's the power of God. It's the strength of God on the inside of you. So in the time of trouble, I'm going to remember that. I'm going to remember he's my father. I mean, if your kid gets in trouble and starts crying or something, the first thing they run to is you. Look what they did to me. Johnny did this. He punched me in the nose. They go to their father. So we want to go with our father too. We want to act as sons and daughters of God. Here it says he's ever present. He's aware of your situations and your circumstances, and he is ready to be your father in every single one of them. All right, go to Malachi chapter 3. A lot of people, even in the church, struggle with daddy issues, praise God. You've got a hook to the right daddy, glory to God. I mean, your daddy did all your daddy knew how to do, and your daddy was as good as your daddy thought he could be, but there's a better daddy, I'm telling you right now, than there is. So quit being hung up on your old daddy and jump on with your new daddy and get some things done, praise God, in the kingdom of God. But my dad was, who cares what your dad was? There's a new daddy, praise God. You're not even in that family anymore. And let's face it, in the family of God, I get along better with my brothers and sisters in the spiritual family sometimes than I do in the natural family. Can I hear an amen? Yes. Dear Lord Jesus, I'm telling you what. 
Yeah, we're family. No, we're family. Praise God. Give me somebody that believes somewhat like I do. It's not going to stab me in the back the next time I turn around. Hallelujah. All right, Malachi, Malachi chapter 3. All right, look at verse 10. We all know this scripture. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house, and prove me now herewith, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that you shall not have room enough to receive. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, and he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground, neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time of the field, saith the Lord of hosts. Yeah, we might as well keep going. And all nations shall call me blessed, praise God, for you shall be the delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. Glory to God. So here it says once again, he is able to meet every financial obligation. He wants to get you to trust him. This is what tithing is all about. Father God basically says, will you trust me with 10% of what I give you? Can you do that? Well, what if he asks for 20%? Oh, my God. No, okay. But notice, everything belongs to him again, doesn't it? That's what it is. And you say, how much belongs to God out of your check? You say 10%. No, the whole check. I mean, after you pay the 10%, he still wants to tell you how to use the other 90%. But our problem is we use the 10% right, and then we blow the other 90%, and we get to a place where we can't afford the 10% anymore because we took our 90% and did what we wanted to with it. No, he wants to be in charge of every single thing. So he says, you bring the tithe, and I will pour out a blessing upon you when you trust me. He invites us to work with him, to trust him. There are many people that have not been able to meet their obligations in the church. They have fallen into debt, loans, credit cards, and all those things. Basically, sickness and other expenses have come to steal our money. But God says in verse 11 that when that happens, I will rebuke. Say, He will rebuke. So Satan has tried to keep the church in bondage, keep Christians in bondage. One thing after another has happened that has kept our pocketbook basically drained. Now the Father has promised to watch over our finances so that we will have no unnecessary bills to drain our pockets. If we have fearless confidence in Him, He will see the blessings showered upon us that we cannot even contain. But if we are wavering, trust Him today, doubt Him tomorrow, worry tomorrow, faith today, Praise God on Sunday, hallelujah Wednesday night, Thursday, the ain't going to work out, can't go back and forth, praise God. We will find ourselves walking alone and without His ability in our life. Once again, we have to take our place as son so He can take His place as a father. And, and you can tell how much of the church is doing this. Once again, the article I read recently, 18% of born-again believers are tithers. Well, what are the other 82% doing? They're trusting their own mind and doing whatever they think is right. Then they get in trouble, then they want to blame God. God, how did you let me get here? Well, just follow my orders that I told you to do here and you won't have all these problems and it'll work out for you, see? It's simply trusting God and one of the biggest things God's got to get us trust on is our finances. Let's face it, that's the biggie in a lot of people's life is finances. If he can get a hold of those and get you to trust him with them, he can get you to trust in a lot of the little situations that you've had trouble with before. All right, go to Isaiah 41. All right, Isaiah 41, look at verse 10. The Father says, Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee, yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. 
when you know that you're tied up to God, when you know that He's your Father, when you know you're part of the family, when you know basically that you are a son, when God is responsible for you, it gets you to walk in a certain boldness and superiority that other people don't walk in. In other words, there's a confidence that you have in your life that other people who don't understand call pride, but it's not. It's just you know your daddy's on your side, praise God, and you're ready to go. I always tell the story about when I was a little kid and and we used to have softball games in in the town, and basically in order to get to the softball game, for me, I could walk clear around the block or I could just cut through a cemetery that separated my house from softball. Well, I used to keep book for that softball. Got paid two pops and two bags of chips. Praise God. I was a millionaire back then. Praise God. And basically, I would go there in the daylight when the softball game started. I went right through that cemetery, praise God, and got there. But then on the way home, I always waited for my dad to get done playing because I was going to walk back through that cemetery. I wanted somebody with me. See? And at that time, when you're a little boy, you think your dad's just the biggest thing that ever was born on the face of the earth. You know that? And I'm, I'm walking back, and if I'm by myself, I'm running 100 mile an hour to get through there. If I'm walking back, I'm with my dad. I want a devil to come out. I'm just looking for somebody to come up out of that grave because my dad's going to beat you to a pulp, brother. Come on now. What is there? There was a different attitude when he was with me, and another attitude when he wasn't with me was how fast could I run through the cemetery and get home? <laughs> And that's the way some Christians live. They're fearful all the time. They're afraid of what's going on. They're afraid of happening. You're walking with your father, praise God. Don't matter if you walk through a cemetery. You've got a daddy, praise God, who's walking with you. And you're hoping you run into something so daddy can take care of it for you, praise God. Here he says, I am your God. I am your God. I am your caretaker. I am your provider. I am your father. I will strengthen you. How many know he will strengthen you? How many of you ever need strength? And whenever you need strength, what do we say? I'm so tired. I'm just getting so darn tired. And he's going, well, whenever you want some strength, just just come this way and I'll give you some supernatural. And I'll tell you, your strength doesn't come from the physical realm. It comes from the spiritual realm. If you don't believe it, just get all worked up and lay hands on about 50 people and see how you feel when you're done, when you drain your spirit. You're going to feel like you got hit by 14 semi-trucks, praise God, because that's where the life comes out of you. That's where it is. He says, I will strengthen you no matter what the work is. I will strengthen you to do it. No matter if it's physical strength, he is our sufficiency. Metal strength, he meets us. Spiritual strength, he will give us the courage to face any impossibility. He is there. Not only am I with you, but now he is also in us in the New Testament, praise God. Israel, if you check the Old Testament, could conquer all the armies that came against them because God was with them. How much more then can God do through us when he's already living on the inside of us in an indwelling presence every single place we go? When things get hard, remember that he is in you and is mightier than all the forces of the natural realm that can come against him. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Here he says, I will stand against them and I will uphold you. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. I thought it was really funny after I got born again and I heard people who didn't know the Lord Jesus Christ and they'd call... uh, and they'd be talking to me about God, you know, and well, the big man upstairs, you know, the big man, he's upstairs and he's up there looking down and I didn't think anything of it. But then I got around Christians who were doing the same thing. 
He's upstairs. The big man's upstairs. No, the big man came downstairs, praise God. But through the power of the Holy Spirit, he dwells on the inside of you. Never know what the big man upstairs is going to do, praise God. But no, if we've got to get an idea that he's not down there, he's sent by the Holy Spirit, three persons in one, that he now lives on the inside of us. And everything that he has is already on the inside of us right now. He's not far off, whether you feel him or not. He is right here. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Look at verse 8. This is Patrick's favorite chapter. Verse 8 says, And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you always having all sufficiency in all things may abound unto every good work. So here he talks about not only meeting our obligations, but he is going to make us able to help others around us in the kingdom of God and extending the kingdom of God. We will be able to distribute literature and books and resources that build other people's faith up, tapes and sermons and everything else. We will be able to scatter abroad the message of eternal life. We will be able to give to the poor. Look at verse 10. Now he that ministers seed to the sower both minister bread for your food, and he will multiply your seed sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. Notice we are going to increase in the fruits of righteousness. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. In other words, what's he saying? Once he starts giving us enough and we trust him and we are able to become givers, say givers. I mean, giving a smile, giving wisdom, given knowledge, given money, given whatever you're doing. The more you do that, the more you increase in your right standing with God because God happens to be a giver. God so loved the world, he is only begotten son. So he's a giver. Now, as long as you become more and more of a giver of what God gives you, it lines you up more and more with God's attitude, God's way to respond things, the way God thinks, the way God does things, because God is a giver. If you're stingy, how many know that's not in right line with God? So as you do this and as you give things and as you share things, basically you're growing in the fruit of righteousness that you are. You're more right in line with God. And God will be saying, give that person 100 bucks. You go, what? First of all, you go, how about 50? <laughs> you don't say, no, 100. Or I'll tell you what, if you get in the anointing and you get hands laid on you up here and the power of God knocks you on the floor, God says, give that person $200. You're going, Woo-hoo, glory. And then you leave and the alarm goes off Monday morning. You said, that couldn't have been God. I don't feel that goosebump about giving that money anymore. I think that was probably the devil trying to take $200 from me because I don't, feel, I don't feel like doing that now. But boy, Sunday, it sounded like a real good idea at the time, praise God. I'll tell you what you need to do in that situation. Tell somebody what you're going to do while you're under the anointing. See, then you're stuck, aren't you? Hey, Patrick, God touched me. I was supposed to give so-and-so $500. Patrick's going to come back on Wednesday and say, did you give that person $500? I'm going, no. No, because Monday morning, God changed his mind. You know, he liked that person on Sunday. They must have sinned or something. Now, he, now see, it don't work that way. Does Under the anointing, everything's wonderful. For you give your house away. Glory. Who cares, you know? But boy, once the anointing wears off, it's not so much fun anymore. Praise God. Hallelujah. Glory to God. So we are going to increase in the fruits of righteousness. We are the righteousness of God. We are sons of God. And we can take Jesus' place in the earth realm. The secret of Jesus' domination over demons, over the laws of nature, and over the works of the Ed Fairy was because he was the righteousness of God in Christ. He was in right standing with God and right thinking with God. Now we have become righteous with his righteousness. That means we can love just as if 
he loves the same way. We can rule the forces of darkness as he ruled them. We are not afraid of sickness and disease because our Father is an every present help in the time of trouble. We're not afraid of anything that may come our way. What does this do? It makes us masters. We are sons of God. We are masters. We're not alone. We are masters over sickness. We are masters over disease. We're masters over the devil. We're masters over strife and envy and every evil thing that the devil tries to do. We have dominion over all those things if we use that dominion that we have. Now, most of the church don't even know they have the dominion. When strife comes, they just get in strife. When anger comes, they just get in anger. When unforgiveness comes, they just get in unforgiveness. But we don't have to live that way because we're sons of God and the nature on the inside of us has change. Before you got born again, you could get away with anything and not feel bad. Then you got born again. And whenever you sinned, you knew you sinned. Nobody had to come say, hey, by the way, you just sinned. Why? Because you don't have that nature. It's not, it's not normal for you to sin anymore because the nature of God's on the inside of you. And you can recognize sin and unforgiveness and things that happen in your life. So basically, it gives us an opportunity to rule over the forces of darkness. When we take the scriptures sincerely and, and surely know that God means exactly to us what he says he is. It will lift us out of the old realm of defeat, out of the old realm of being a victim. I tell you, the church loves to be a victim. You don't need to be a victim. You're not a victim, praise God. You're a victor, glory to God. But you don't understand what they did to me. You don't understand what God has given you and did for you. Praise God. Come on, grow up a little bit, praise God. He said that we could preach the gospel of the kingdom. He said that. He said that we could heal the sick. He said that. He said that we could expel demons. He said that. It's no longer I can't, but I can do all things through him who strengthens me because of the ability on the inside of me. We are able to minister to the needs of those people around us now. We may have never been able to give much money, but he can enable us to do that. He can cause us to earn he can cause people to give to you. He can cause to make good money decisions. Oh, Lord have mercy. First three chapters of Genesis basically deal with management. God wants his people to be able to manage what they have and manage it properly. He left us all these things on the earth, but now you've got to manage what he gives you. And the more you can manage rightly, the more you end up getting, praise God. And if you don't manage rightly, you lose what he gave you, according to the Bible. See, that's why a lot of people get rich, then they get broke. They get rich, then they go in debt. They, why is that? Because they're not managing what they get. So everything that you get, how many know it's important to God what you do with it? And some people think a small amount don't matter. Well, you start with a small amount. Be faithful with little, and he'll give you... If you can't be faithful with $100, then you're not going to have $1,000 the next week, do you see? But I don't, that don't mean anything. That don't matter. If I don't tithe off the $100, I got that $10. Who cares about that $10? It shows your faithfulness and it shows your management, praise God. Whatever he gives you as a gift, you need to learn how to manage what he gives you, praise God. So it all depends basically upon our attitude towards what we are in Christ, who we are, that we're sons of God, we're heirs of God, and we are the righteousness of God in Christ. All right, go to Psalm 78. I'm going to buy this tape, praise God. I... Psalm 78. All right, Psalm 78, look at verse 41. 
it says, Yea, they turned back and tempted God, and they limited the Holy One of Israel. They remembered not His hand, nor the day when He delivered them from the enemy. Here it says the Israeli people basically limited God. Now, how many of you know if they limited God, we can also limit God? I mean, no, God is limitless, but we can stop him from being limitless by limiting him. If we allow the limitless one to dominate or rule over our thoughts and over our intentions and over everything in our life, we limit God's availability to be a father in our life and in our situations. We will do things beyond what we have asked or thought if our thinking and our thought life lines up with God. The Bible says that he is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. Well, God's not going to do nothing for me because I've been sinning and I just haven't been praying and I missed church last Sunday and God, he's just not going to do much for me because God is mad at me right now. And since he's mad at me, I'm a failure. And since I'm a, a failure, how, how, what can he do? Come on, if his ability depends on what you ask or think, you've just shut him completely down. You just limited him. It's not because he can, it's because you won't let him. So we need to start to take responsibility, basically. We need to understand what we were created to do and what we were created is a new creation in Christ Jesus. It will be a father and son working together with his ability to fulfill his purposes. Say his purposes. So we are sons of God. We are in the family of God. We have no need ever to worry or to fret. He is really our Father. The more we take our place and act like sons and daughters, the more He is allowed to be Father in your life. We keep His Word. He makes His home with us an ever-present help in times of trouble. We are no longer Gentiles. We're not going to act anymore like a pagan. We're not going to be worriers. We do not have to lean on our own understanding. We simply trust in Him with all of our hearts because He is our Father. All right, go to Ephesians chapter 2. That one song we sing about the Father, what is that one? Singing every Father's Day, probably, and then maybe one other time during the year. Is that called Good, Good Father? Is that it? Yeah. 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 All right, Ephesians chapter 2. Look at verse 19. It says, Now, when? Now, therefore, you are no more a stranger. You're certainly not a foreigner, but you are fellow citizens with the saints. And you are now a member in the household of who? Of God. When is that? Now. Now. Now, the day that you're born in, you are born into the spiritual family of God. He becomes your father. You become the son or daughter. It's a spiritual family, and it is the the family of God. He is truly 100% your father, and we are his children. He is for us. He will protect you. He will take care of you if you allow him to be a father to you. We must start limiting his influence in our life through worry and fear. We must grow in our sonship every day to allow more of God into our life. Go to John chapter 1.
John chapter 1, look at verse 12. It says, but as many as receive him, talking about Jesus, in other words, getting born again, to them gave he power, the word there is authority, to them he gave power and authority to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Here it says, as we get born again, we will slowly grow up to become or grow up into a sonship mentality in our life. He longs for us to act like sons, to trust him as little children. This is the end to worry in your life. A little child does not worry about if they have clothes, if there will be food that day. They believe that their father will take care of them. This growth is basically trusting your father no longer yourself. Trusting your father with all your heart, not leaning on any of your own understanding. Now, you know, I had a chance again this week to go over and take care of Talon over there because they got in a little crunch where they needed me there. And I'll tell you what, when it came time to get a bottle, she didn't question whether I had one. She didn't question if milk was available. She didn't even question whether I was going to give her one. Now, the way she asked for it might have been a little loud, but she knew it was coming sooner or later. Do you see what I mean? She wasn't concerned whether I was going to clothe her that day. She could care less whether she, she just knew she was going to get clothed. When she made a mistake, how many of you know she knew I was going to come change her die-die? She wasn't going to say, well, I hope my father will come change my diaper. And it's the same way with us. When you mess up your diaper, don't run away from your father. For God's sakes, run to him, praise God. Let him change the thing and put something new and fresh on you. Maybe a little powder, praise God, or something to help the situation there. But we always want to get guilty and run away from him. And say, oh, no, it's not that way. Your father wants to help you in every situation and every circumstance. All right, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. All right, here's an example of the growth process that we all go through. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, look at verse 14. It tells you to be not equally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness? Well, we know that righteousness and unrighteousness have no fellowship. But when you got born again, even though spiritually you were born again, how many know your soul was still in unrighteousness because it was certainly not in alignment with God? Your soul had not been renewed yet. Your soul had not been saved yet. Your spirit had been born again. When you get born again, your soul is not saved. Your soul remains the same. You as a spirit get born again. Then you have to save your soul by renewing with the word of God. And here it says basically righteousness and unrighteousness. What communion has light with darkness? Well, they don't, do they? They can't get it all in all. So when basically went, before I got born again, I was darkness. Before I got born again, I was an unbeliever. When I got born again, I was unrighteous. Well, he's telling you not to slowly go from unrighteousness to righteous. He's telling you to believe that the unrighteous person was killed and now you are righteous. That darkness is gone and now you are light. And religion tells you how to get there. Well, if you could get there, he should have never went to the cross. We could have just got there by ourselves. But you can't get there because it's only through the blood of Jesus to get you there. And he got you there when you got born again. He goes on to say, and what concord has Christ with the devil? Well, we know they don't get along real well. And what part has a believer with an infidel, unbeliever? He's showing you that the mass thing that took place the day you got born again instantly. Instantly, I became a son of God. Instantly, Father was responsible for taking care of me. Instantly, God was with me at all times. Instantly, God was watching over me. Instantly, God was to provide for all my things and everything that took place. And basically, we've got to understand that we've got there as soon as we got born again. Look at verse 16. 
And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? Well, none. But notice it says, For you are now the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them. I will walk in them. I will be their God, and they shall be my what? Now, how many know that's a change from where you were before you got born again? So now I got born again, and God's in me now. When I go home tonight, God's in the car with me. When I get home tonight, God's there. When I come to church, God's with me. Ever-present help in time of trouble. So he says, notice in verse 16, of what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are a temple of the living God, as God has said. I will dwell in them, I will walk in them, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Now look at verse 17. Because of this, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. Now, how many know that's our responsibility? So I've got to come to a place where I'm no longer touching the unclean thing. How am I going to touch the unclean thing? With my fingers? No, with my thought life, ain't I? I'm going to think that even though I'm born again, I'm darkness. Even though I'm born again, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Even though I'm born again, I'm more like the devil than I am of God. And he's saying, cleanse yourself through the Word of God. And as you cleanse yourself, you will change relationships. Look at the relationship Change, verse 18. And if you do this, I will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters. So you're going to go from a place of being born again to God and his people. But as you renew your mind of who he is and how much he loves you and what a good daddy is and how he provides for you, you're going to go from a God and his people to a father and a son. There's going to be a transformation that takes place in your thought life. You're going to learn to trust him in every single area of your life. Worry is going to leave your life. Fear is going to leave your life. And I'll tell you right now, a lot of sickness is going to leave your life. Because most of the sickness that takes place is due to worry and fear. It's just the way it is, praise God. You worry and fear for long enough, something's going to break down in your body because your body was not designed to worry or be fearful wasn't designed that way. It can't hold up. It can't do it, praise God. So notice there's a transformation that takes place. What is he going to be? He's going to be a father and a son then as I grow into that. All right, one more, Matthew chapter 6. For many years of my life, even after I came out of denomination and came, you know, into the full gospel and the Pentecostal and all that, I still was under the impression that the Lord's Prayer was something that was used most times in the past. You know what I mean? In the Old Testament, because uh, this was before, you know, people got born again. This was before. It was in our denomination. We said it all the time. Didn't have any idea what we were saying, but you just said it because everybody else said it, along with Hail Mary and everything else. Those are the things that we did. But as you study the Lord's Prayer, you find out there's so much in there, and that's what we're going to look at. Look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. First of all, they came to him and said, Jesus, show us how to pray. And Jesus says, okay, I'll show you. Verse 9, and this is the manner, therefore pray, our who, which art where, Hallowed or honored be your name. Amen. Well, how am I going to honor him? He says, pray thy kingdom come and thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. In other words, he says, acknowledge him as father. Acknowledge him as father in heaven. Honor him. How am I going to honor him? I'm going to put his business before my business. Now, ours is our father who art in heaven. Give me a brand new car. Pay my mortgage. Uh, but that's not what he says, is it? He says, you need to pray that his kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now we go into provision if we do that. Give us this day our daily bread. Notice not monthly bread, daily bread. Say daily bread. Daily. 
Now, how many of you know if you're getting daily bread, you've got to trust him every day? See, that's why riches can either destroy you or they can help you. It doesn't matter how rich you get. As long as you don't put your trust in those riches, you're fine. But if you start putting your trust in those riches, when you get some riches, you'll end up losing those riches because your trust is in the wrong thing. God never wanted you to take a vow of poverty. My God. And not have anything. Praise God. No, he wants you to be rich, but he wants you to trust him and then be able to give any riches of yours he asks you to give. Praise God. Verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. Verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we forget our debtors. So what's he doing? He's talking about the our father here. What happens? Basically, you honor me. I'm your father. You're my son. I'm your daddy. What's going to come? Provision's going to come. I'm going to meet your daily needs. Forgiveness is going to be there whenever you need it so that you can walk in the righteousness that I taught you to walk in with me. There's protection there. You will grow up in the things of God with me. Look at verse 13. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. What's he saying? When somebody comes and gets you, when the devil tries to attack you, when sin tries to come in your life, he will be there with you to make sure you don't fall, you don't fail, you don't go into that. You know, there's people in the church all the time that say, well, everybody's got to stumble and fall sometime. Well, that's not what the Word says. The Word says you shall never fall if you do certain things. So we either got to believe, but because people fall, they want to justify their fall by saying everybody's got to fall sometime. But when you fall, get back up and don't fall again, for God's sakes. So notice here, he's going to deliver us. He's going to watch us. So as we grow in our sonship through the word of God, it is the word of God that reveals his love for us. It is the word of God that reveals his protection for us. It is the word of God that'll teach us to be sons and daughters of God without worry and fear, to notify that we are in the family of God. He is now our daddy. He is now our Abba Father. And he basically is in our lives an ever-present help in time of trouble. Say, I am a child of God. I expect my father to take care of every need that I have in every area of my life. I choose tonight to stop worrying, stop being afraid, stop being in control, and let my Father take over. I come to Him with my burdens, my heavy labor, and I lay it all down tonight, and I allow Him to be my Daddy, my Abba, my Father, my ever-present help, and I trust Him, not my thinking, not my understanding, not my knowledge. I put my trust in him and I live as a kingdom citizen and no longer as a pagan. Hallelujah. Glory to God. All right. Praise God.